0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted that I have Esther Weinberg with me today. How are you? I'm doing great, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Let me tell you a little bit about Esther. She is a business growth accelerator that equips executives in high growth industries to create big pivots, big impacts, and big returns. As founder and chief leadership development officer of the Ready Zone, she powerfully fast tracks an organization's progress by focusing on the Ready Zone's six zone performance indicators that are paramount to profitable growth. Esther's innovative strategies have assisted clients to grow, scale, and thrive in the worst and best of times. She is a member of the Forbes Coaches Council and a contributor to Forbes. So Esther, share with us, how did you get your career started and how did you become this amazing chief leadership development officer?
1: Uh, so it's a, a glamorous and non-glamorous story at the same time. <laughs> so I was actually in publicity and marketing and working for big brands, Fox, Disney. And I reached a certain point when I was working actually at Disney, where I realized that the job no longer was a good fit for me. I was kind of like at a crisis of conscience. And so what happened to me was that I decided to leave and at the last minute, my boss also said, I think it's time for you to go too. So it was mutual, but I left thinking that I was going to start my own PR firm. And then what I realized is that I didn't want to do that at all. And so I was kind of lost for a while. And so I found a woman that was, I didn't know this at the time, but she was an executive coach. And when she and I started doing some sessions, she said, you know, that you'd be really good at doing leadership development and maybe even executive coaching. And I thought, what oh, is she crazy? I don't even know what she's talking about. And so I started exploring it, went to school for it, and at the end of the day, have had a business for over 20 years doing this inside of some big name brands like Netflix and Warner Brothers and Sony and even Disney. And so that's how it happened in a very short version of the story.
0: So early in your career, you said you were in PR and marketing and then you made this complete transition. Yeah. Tell us about what were some of the things that you did in your early career that you're able to translate and use now in your business?
1: Well, you know, it's so interesting because now I'm talking to salespeople and I was in PR. Now you could say that it's a version of sales, but I actually think that if you're doing sales or PR, eat your best poise in your career because The one thing you're always going to need to do is to sell something. You're always selling something. You're selling yourself. You're selling an idea. You're positioning something always. And so I would say that those foundational concepts of communication, the ability to sell an idea, to get people to buy into an idea, to understand what it is to position, to message, to understand audiences, to understand what will resonate, what will sell, what will not, what will land for them, what won't how you try things out in certain ways in order to make them work. Those were key, absolutely critical, especially also, I mean, if you're really going to get granular, writing skills, oral skills, writing skills, which I think are a little lost today since we're communicating so much and like texting in three seconds. But those kinds of oral written skills, those communication skills, those abilities to sell, those were pivotal to helping me today. And they are pivotal, frankly, in me helping my clients too.
0: So when you had that moment when you're like, ugh, oh, this is just a crossroads. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when you step into entrepreneurship, it's scary. So, oh, yeah. what were some of the conversations you had with yourself as you decided that you were gonna move out on your own?
1: Well, I will tell you that I don't think I had conversations like that. <laughs> what I mean okay. by that is I think I, I kind of really say that I'm an accidental entrepreneur because what I realized was that the mold that I was trying to put myself into, there was not a mold. And so to me, at that point, there was only another way to do it where, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start my own business. And at the time though, I have to say that I don't know if I thought about it in all the complexities that it is to actually start your own business. What I mean by that is as I started getting into it, it was like, wait a second, I need to be really skilled at legal accounting I mean things that I'm not an expert in, right? And so you start realizing that once you start running a, if you're really going to run this business appropriately and properly, there's certain things that you really needed to be in place, and you needed to discern and determine for yourself what roles you're going to step into. So, for example, when am I now a sales leader? When am I now a real true overarching COO? When am I a financial leader? What roles am I doing when? And which ones do I need? to make sure that I've got teams in place to be able to do it. So it's interesting because I've built teams inside of organizations, and then you're finding that you yourself have to build a team. And I think it's one of the things that entrepreneurs sometimes put to the side is understanding the kind of team that you need in order to support your own infrastructure as you start to build. And then what are the different inflection points that then you'll need different levels of support systems for them? Yeah.
0: Good. That's so good because building a team under the the corporate veil and building a team under your own entrepreneurship umbrella, those are two very, very different things. And a lot of times, you know, you try to take the same lessons that you've learned in the corporate realm, but they don't always work, right? So, as you were in the corporate umbrella, what are some of the best lessons you learned being a leader?
1: So, there were many. I remember this moment when I was sitting at I remember it was because I was part of the senior leadership team at Disney, and we were sitting in a room, we're having a senior leadership team meeting, and the CFO said very casually, he said, I just want you to know about a third of the workforce is left. Well, no, he said some number of people left. We were asking how many people, as I said, about a third of the workforce talking like, you know, I'm talking about what I'm having for dinner. And I, the head of sales and I were both horrified. And we both said almost simultaneously, wait, 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 wait a second, let's back up. Let's. We need to analyze this. We need to look at what's going on, why people are leaving, are people leaving because the kind of environment that we have, the kind of culture that we have. And so there was such a pivotal moment because I realized a few things. One, and I may be answering your later question, but I, I realized a few things, which I would say, that I take with me now with that I learned from my corporate days is that number one, you really have to be really looking at the business from a high level perspective with regularity. And what I mean by that is not just going, of course, I'm looking at the business, you know, I'm doing stuff every day. But no, you really need to have actual pause points where you're taking a step back, you're actually being able to look at the business in a really thoughtful way. And you're actually taking a pulse check on the people side. Now, I know a lot of people talk about this, right? People are so important, people are so important, but it's not an easy thing to do. When you're leading an organization, you're leading people. I remember I heard this quote once, someone said, if I had to go in and do my work every day, I come in at nine and I leave at 11 a.m. But since I have to leave people, I come in at nine and then I never leave. You know, so it's that kind of thing. So you have to remember that where's your curiosity? Curiosity is so vital. How can I be curious about how I am navigating, how I'm operating? How can I elevate my own self-awareness? How can I be curious about what the market is telling me? How can I be curious about what my clients and people are telling me? How can I be more curiously engaged? How can I amp up simple things that make a huge difference? Because oftentimes, like even executives will say to me, CEOs will say to me, well, we really need to elevate the bottom line and how I really need to cut in these key areas. And I said, okay, well, let's take a look at this one level of measurement, engaging in tough conversations. 70% of all employees don't engage in tough conversations with their boss, with their peers, and with their direct reports. That costs... In the United States, it's close to $59 billion in wasted time and resources. So where are we looking about what we need to elevate and increase in order to effectuate our bottom line? Culture is often talked about, but I don't think we talk about it enough with the connection to the ROI and the dollars and cents of it, because there is. So that ability to actually connect Things like curiosity, listening, engaging in tough conversations with a balance sheet is critical. I didn't necessarily learn that in a corporate environment, but what I learned is that it is measurable, it is tangible, and when you look at it, it makes all the difference in the world when you're actually engaging in it.
0: Mm, that's so good. I often say when I'm working with organizations that you guys are so focused on these KPIs and all of this other stuff, but the problem is actually these leaders and how they think about what they're doing every day, how they think about the team. And a component you mentioned is really important is this culture that has been created. So let's dig into that a little bit more. When you're in organizations and you're talking about their culture, what are some of the things that are like huge red flags? You're like, oh my gosh, you guys are really jacked
1: up. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. so let me just say this. So let's take a step back. So at the Ready Zone, so my company, the Ready Zone. So what we talk about is that, mostly that leaders, not most leaders, I would say, well, most folks, I would want to feel ready to powerfully take advantage of all the opportunities and challenges at their feet. The question is, how do you, right? I mean, we all want to be able to do that no matter what. And we believe creating workplace cultures where trust, respect, and psychological safety are not just valued, but they're as measured as the bottom line are critical. So we've developed what we call our KPIs, what we call them six zone performance indicators. Those are actually a diagnostic framework for you to actually be able to say, to know, to see, to spot, how am I actually doing it? Where am I elevating and which areas? And often we find, and it's not a progression. So when you look at these diagnostic areas, you don't go, "Oh, so I'm progressing from this, this, this." No, because for example, I could be, you know, there's an executive that I I'm working with right now, and she really needs to continue to build her team. What's happened is that there has been a lack of trust. In the environment, I would say that there's been certain things that have contributed to that. That sense of always operating on emergencies, not having a strategy, not having key priorities, those will contribute to that. At the same time, she also needs to work on her own emotional agility and emotional awareness because she's so used to operating in a really fast paced, oriented environment that this environment does not, it's not the same. So her ability to modulate and oscillate between stress and recovery is even more needed now. So that would cover our action-ready zone. That's all about developing your emotional agility. Thank you, Dr. Susan David, for coining that phrase. Then we would say that the ability to develop your team to be a high-performance team is under impact-ready. Now, there's lots of different mechanisms in order to do that, but one element. So for example, if people aren't speaking up in a room, you know, there's something going on. It's not like everyone's tired. <laughs> so there's something that's happening. And so what is that an indicator of? Or, oh, let me further investigate what that means, what that looks like. Do we have, you know, we always say when you form teams, there's three things that you really need that are foundational. You need a vision narrative, You need a, which is the articulated state in which you want to be in the next few years through your division or organization. Second is a team commitment meaning what is this leadership team committed to? How are we committed to together to delivering on the vision? And last is our impact guide, which is all the articulated agreements and ways in which we're going to operate together to make all of this work. And if you don't hold each other's feet to the fire, it's not gonna work. So those are some things that I look for. So these things that like you sniff out, but the diagnostic framework of those six zone performance indicators really help individual leaders, teams, and organizations because they don't have to look far. It's like, oh, I'm looking in this framework. Oh, here we go. I'm good here. I don't know about here. And we need to elevate here. So it becomes a lot easier of a language for us with them.
0: Okay. So it's really uh, meeting them where they are and then saying, hey, these are the tools that you need. Let me help you realize why this is not working or why that's not working or why we should tweak this or this or that.
1: Yeah, to build on what you're saying, I really love to build on what's working, you know, what's Mm. really good inside of the organization, you know, to take a page from appreciative inquiry is that if we ask people, okay, let's say as a team, let's say people are silent or they feel that there's a lack of trust, I could say to the team or the individuals on the team, like, tell me a time when you worked on a team where you felt that trust was really implicit, like it was right there. What kind of work were you doing? What gave you a demonstration of that? What we're doing? Who are you being in those moments? And then how can we take the lessons from that, your learnings, your storytelling from that, and how can we inject it into this equation to make all the difference? So I like to build on the goodness of the individual, the team of the organization in order for them to be able to see how they can elevate.
0: Share with us a time that you worked with a team and you thought things were going in the right direction and something happened and it took a turn for the, oh no, (laughs) give us an example of that.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I can share the example with this team that I'm referring to. So we were doing a team assessment and I thought everyone really contributed very vibrantly and people had a lot to say. People were very active and talkative. And then we go and present the team assessment, which, you know, when you get data, it's kind of like, you know, people are hesitant, right? Because first you're trying to analyze the data. You're trying to make sense of it. Then you're trying to say, does this ring true to me? Does this who I know us to be as a unit, right? And then what happened? And then once again, vibrant conversation. I thought swimmingly well, we're ready to dive into the next phase of the team development. Next session, silence. And what I mean by that, it wasn't silent for three hours, but it was very quiet. And I thought, okay, we are at a halt. And so let's, we need to investigate. So we did a session with the team without the leader and really found out about what are the core, and all of a sudden they were very talkative. And it's not that the team leader was problematic, but there were things in the environment, things that they were a little concerned to say. And how do we? First, unpack it even further. So, there was another depth we had to go to beyond the assessment. And also, remember, the assessment takes time, right? So, we needed to get more modern day. Where are we today? Unpack really where they are now. And then to say, okay, well, how do we bring everyone into the equation, leader included, because you're all a team? You're not, it's not a power struggle. And how do we now talk together about the reality of what's really happening for everybody? And so, to create that safe environment, and how do you actually So we worked a lot on what a safe environment looks like. What is safety? How do you define safety? What's included in a safe environment? And then how do we just start to even take that first step? And it was funny because we met probably about two weeks ago with the team. And Gabby, who works with me, we were virtual and the team was in person. And we were were messaging each other later going, man, they're really connected. (laughs) So, So it was amazing that. I think that we had gotten them. It was a great example of, you know, oftentimes, and the leader was very hesitant because she really wanted us to continue to move forward. But it's a really great also example of how do we evaluate what forward looks like? Mm. Because oftentimes we may say, I have these priorities, right? So for example, priorities are unclear, strategies unclear, visions unclear. I know, me or the leader could say this, I know. We have to get clarity on the vision. We have to create some bold step strategies and we have to create real priorities with timelines, right? That all makes sense, right? That's like brushing your teeth in the morning, right? It makes sense. It's like eating your greens every day. <laughs> we know that, right? But at the end of the day, it takes a lot to do it. And so if you're noticing that you're wanting to move a little forward, that you think that that means forward, the people around you, it's difficult for them sometimes you may need to just shift course. It's not a going backwards; it's a shifting course. So, for example, if we didn't do the sessions we did, they wouldn't be able to be in vibrant dialogue with each other now to be able to set their priorities and timeline in the next before the end of the year. And sometimes things take longer than you think. So you may think it's a step back, but it's actually not. It's just a different way to look at what forward looks like.
0: Hmm, that's good because sometimes. You make a step to the side, or it may be taking a step back, but you're really, quote unquote, stepping back to really unpack some things and do what you need to do so you can accelerate and go even faster and further.
1: You know, when you're working with people, it is not a linear path. You know, I'll give you an example. Also, we're launching an executive think tank in 2023 for an EVP level. And at that level, they're just that level right below C-suite you'd be surprised at how much or maybe not surprised and how much of the issues that are occurring for them have to do with team motivation, invigoration, inspiration. So it's when you're dealing with people, this is part of what comes with it.
0: Yeah. You're a people leader. And a lot of times they're like, Oh, I'm not a frontline manager, but you lead people. (laughs) I mean, you actually lead human beings and lead human beings. We have to realize that they have their own personal challenges. They have their own anxieties. They have their own issues. They have their own everything, you know, their whole own goals. And as leaders, we really need to tap into what makes them tick the things that they may be struggling with. So we can come together and as a whole unit become whole.
1: Absolutely. And also sometimes we have to be very careful how we diagnose. So like there was an executive that called me yesterday and he said, There's some strife happening between two leaders in the team. So one is the leader of the team and the other person is her direct report. And he said, I think we need to, what I told both of them is I think we need to have someone get them together and help them with their dynamics between each other. I said, okay, well, tell me a little bit about what's happening. So he describes what's happening for the leader and that she's really stressed since COVID business has not returned the way that it has. She's overseeing an enormous footprint of the business. Plus he described her personal challenges. I mean, we're talking about serious with her husband, with her daughter, serious challenges. And so I said, there's no way. It's not about the two of them. All roads lead back to Rome. We have to start with her and very tenderly and gingerly and also make sure that this is the right modality. So for example, we would recommend executive coaching, but maybe she needs therapy. I mean, not that I wouldn't say I'm recommending a therapist for you. That's not our job. But it could be that she needs, you know, what's the right modality for the person? I mean, I definitely think coaching can help her, but definitely not an intervention with two people. That would just be too extreme at this point.
0: Yeah. You know, as people who kind of (laughs) walk alongside executives, I actually, I call myself a sales therapist. And many times what we notice is that. There are so many things that are going on. And as, you know, their top line leader, they want to help, but they just don't know what to do. Absolutely. And sometimes their help actually may hurt or drive that executive, that leader further away because it's too much for them.
1: They're already right.
0: at their their top and they can't really figure out how to to come
1: down any That's more. right. That's absolutely right. Very well said. Mm-hmm. So share with
0: us an experience in your career personally or professionally that re- has really impacted the way that you lead and show up today.
1: There's so many. I mean, that situation at Disney was a classic one. I will say there's absolutely a classic one. Another one I remember, I'll never forget this. I was I was doing such a funny experience. So I remember I was working in Uganda, Africa, and I was doing a assessment of an organization that was a U.S. government partnership with two other organizations in Uganda. And it was about AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis. So it was the deployment. I mean, this was it was a time when I moved to Uganda, Africa. I was running my business at night virtually in the United States. And then during the day, I was doing on-the-ground children's rights work, which was absolutely incredible and transformative for a different show. Anyway, so there was this moment when there was two things that happened. One was that I remember... I was referred to this job and I was doing this, I was referred to this, doing this assessment for this organization. And it was so much, there was so many things that was transformative about it. One, I was in a, a car because the way that you would go to all the different sites is not by plane, but by car. And I remember I had a, we picked up because you sometimes at that time in Uganda, you'd pick up people along the road to give them lifts or rides. And, and from the organization, we gave one of the young doctors a lift somewhere. And so he's in the back of the car and he's, and I think the doctor was probably about 25 or 26 years old, young. And he was describing the severity of the AIDS, malaria and tuberculosis outbreaks within Northern Uganda. And I remember a cold sweat came down on me and I thought, okay, wait a second. If I get this assessment wrong, there's people's lives at stake. I had never done an assessment before where people's lives were at stake. Yes, they're at stake in different ways, but this is life or death. Let me be clear, life or death. So that was such a pivotal moment. And the way that I, I mean, I have, I have very little, I'm very attentive when I do these kinds of assessments, but just the intentionality really shifted. And it was interesting because then when I met with some of my colleagues, the guys who referred me to the job, they were like, oh, we didn't want to do this. This was too complicated. (laughs) I thought, What do you mean? This is is too complicated. It was an incredibly complicated assessment because you're talking about the delivery of drugs to these communities. And I remember once I was sitting with the head of the largest community in northern Uganda, and there was a literally a manual in paper that high of all the district protocols. And I'm thinking, who reads this? So I said to him, so how do the drugs get deployed? How does deployment happen in a way that's evenly distributed for everyone? And he said, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. As long as I know that there's organizations here operating deploying the drugs. And I was horrified by that. So I remember when I wrote up the assessment and we were, as part of their assessment was a reorganization of the deployment of resources. I remember there were so many things to learn. Number one is how do you really treat people as not necessarily that everything is life and death, but you treat them with the level of attention and really care as you would if it is a severe situation because you're dealing with human life no matter what. You're dealing with human dignity, the dignity of people. You're dealing with people. I mean, I met with children. I met with adults. I met with parents. I mean, I met with all different people from all different walks of the ministers of government for this assessment. And you really get that. How do you have a different level of intentionality care and how can you speak To every person, like they really know that you're there and you're speaking from a place of human dignity because you're giving them human dignity and it's hopefully a reciprocal conversation. And so that kind of humanity was something that I will never forget. How could you ever forget that? So it really transformed who I was as a human being and how I was leading in every way. Hmm, that's so
0: good. Wow, that's a, a pretty deep story. Because as you said, it's like, yeah, we're, we're impacting lives, you know, in the work that we do, but you're literally the results of your assessment We're literally impacting human beings and the outcomes would happen to them the next day or in six months or in six years. Absolutely. This has been an amazing conversation, Esther. Um, if people want to get in
1: contact with you, what is the one best way? Oh, the one best way is my website. You go to thereadyzone.com, T-H-E-R-E-A-D-Y-Z-O-N-E.com. Easiest way to do it.
0: Awesome. 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 Well, I thank you so much for sharing your time, your talent, and your expertise with us today. It has been amazing.
1: Thank you so much for your questions and your interest. I'm grateful. Thank you. you And that
0: was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast.
1: Remember, every day,
0: try to find one way to transform your sale. It is all about getting 1% better each and every day. Until next time.